Tavern Squad is a tabletop RPG podcast that features adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Tavern. I'm your dungeon master, your innkeeper, and your host, Connor Everly. We are so excited to share with you the pilot episode of our new Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition homebrewed campaign that we have yet to title. (laughs) But we're still super excited about it. Today's cast is Jessica McGarry as Cecilia Slitherspoon, Sean Bequeezen as Guard 3, Andre Ryu as Tums, and Dan, the Mystery Man, as Roy Nar. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us on social media as Tavern Squad. The links are in the show notes. You can find our character art on Instagram, and you can also check out our website, tavernsquad.com, for more content. For the sake of the premiere, we're going to dive right into the episode, but please stick around after the main program to hear more about what we're up to. Until then, enjoy the show. Since the dawn of high fantasy RPGs, there has been no greater stage for a story to be told or to begin than a tavern. The mythical epicenter for both adventure and drink alike. Armed with their dice, tankards, and creative expression, five D&D nerds quest for glory and to keep traditional narrative cliché alive. This is Tavern Squad. Warm candlelight falls upon a curious metal bowl, highlighting the opalescent striations in the purple metal. The reflected rays spill atop a marble altar, washing its surface with an ephemeral glow. The light struggles to touch the walls of this darkened room, making the edges of this space dissolve into an infinite darkness. Emerging from the inky blackness are three figures clad in pleated white robes with ornate golden trim. Along the pleats, small golden thorns burst outwards like radiant cactus spines. Lizard-like snouts protrude from the deep hoods of the cloaked figures standing equidistant from the center altar. They linger in silence for a moment, until the center figure steps towards the altar and speaks aloud. We are here today to welcome another one of our blood into the clan of the Crested Suwaro. A clan spanning as far back before the Divine Strife, led by the power of light to burn away the corruption and the foul undeath that spreads throughout this land. Today, we welcome one of great power, the fourth daughter of the fifth son. Come, my dear Cecilia, step forward. You have proven yourself a worthy hunter. Lay your trophy upon the altar. And emerging from the shadows... Another lizard folk arrives. Jessica, would you like to describe your character? So Cecilia Silverspoon is currently adorned in her normal 
big baggy pants and crop top shirt. She has her neon pink wig on today, which goes well with the tassels on the side of her pants. She has a purple scaled um, skin with some blue teal highlights. Her two short swords are currently tucked away in her side pant belt. And she's holding in her hands the tail end of a giant rattlesnake, which is black and white. And she holds it forward as she presents this um, landmark murder slaughter to her <laughs> That maybe the, the trophy. <laughs> yeah, and so I like landmark murder slaughter. I mean, I think that was much more emblematic of the event. <laughs> the, uh, the landmark murder slaughter. <laughs> I think that was good. Yeah. And as you present this giant rattlesnake rattle to your elders, you can't really make out the face of your father, but you can tell that he looks upon you proudly. Out of the six children he has, out of your five siblings, you are the fourth daughter of the fifth son. You are the monster hunter of the family. You have proven yourself well. Does your blood flow with the sap of the sunlit Sawaro? Yes, father. Yes, it does. And my eyes like glow a little bit more yellow with excitement. Then, you are ready for the final part of your initiation. Brothers, step forward. You see as your two uncles who flank your father go up to this hypoxium bowl that stands upon the altar. They bring out curved knives and clutch them in their fists before sliding it through. What you would imagine to otherwise be red blood comes out like liquid sunlight. It illuminates the corners of this room as it drizzles into this bowl. And finally, as they shake off the last of the blood and bandage their hands and retreat, your father comes forward and slices a long slice down the back of his forearm and drips the blood from his fingertips into the bowl, also like liquid sunlight. He wipes the blood off and backs away. Come, daughter. If you truly want the sap of the sunlit Sawaro to be in your blood, you must drink. Cecilia kneels down and clasps the chalice and lifts it up and pour, like waterfalls it into her mouth. Um, and it just illuminates all around her and like some like gets on her cheek and like slides down her neck and stuff and she can just feel the radiance of it just warm her innards and her teal colored highlights kind of glow a little bit stronger. They do glow and what starts as a comforting warmth becomes severe burning. You knew that the initiation would be painful. But this is like having the sun rip through your insides. 
You fall to your knees as your teal highlights beam with sunlight. What was oblivion, these shadows around the wall, is illuminated. This circular stone room is completely bright as your eyes shine with sunlight and as sunlight beams from your open maw, you cry out in agony. And you fall to the ground, the light dimming. You are exhausted. Rising high above the wandering city, the spiraling stone structure known as the Steps climbs into a cloudless sky. The heat of the day is immense, burdened from the light of two suns. One, a blinding radiant sphere, and the second, a massive purple body looming behind the first like a shadow. And strangely, it seems to be in a waning crescent phase. The dark stone absorbs the radiation of these celestial bodies, only being cooled by a spring that sprouts from beneath the castle atop the spiral structure. Lush greenery unfurls near this waterway that flows through a grate right beside the main gate to the Castello Fidenza. The towering iron doors of this passageway, guarded by a stalwart being made of metal. Sean, would you like to take a moment to describe the appearance of your character? Sure. Uh, G3, otherwise known as guard number three. Uh, he's a construct warforged barbarian. Um, he's kind of a blue metal rounded um I guess you'd call him Hunchback. His head kind of sits in front of his bulky chest. Um, he's a big dude. And what weapon do you have in your hand? Uh, he has a very large battle axe. Um, it only has one blade on the front and then it's flat on the back. And he, it's almost the size of him and he's like 6'4". G3, you are standing in front of the main gates and you are looking out over the city. It is surprisingly quiet in the streets. There is no sign of, of life anywhere. Looking beyond the borders of the wandering city, looking over this patchwork myriad of architectures all slammed together that makes up the wandering city, you see endless desert and blue sky. But something catches your attention. Looking to the north, you see this growing storm gathering clouds. And as you look at it, it feels as though you speed towards it. You zoom in, flying past miles of barren desert until you reach the heart of this storm, where you see a magnificent eight-legged horse flying through the sky, eyes blue, surrounded by arcs of lightning as it thunders through these clouds. It is surrounded by a stampede of these blue six-legged horses, ranging in size from average-sized horses to house-sized horses, and they thunder past you. Before you can think to respond of this oncoming storm of horses, you get knocked over. 
you get trampled. Large hooves of these six-legged creatures pound you into the sand, denting your metal hide. You try and struggle to get up from the sand, but you cannot. In a moment, feeling like you are being consumed by sand and pounded into the dirt by these horses, there is a sudden stillness, and you look up for a moment and see this beautiful, beautiful construct, ornate in its construction. It looks like silver with gold filigree. A towering being, although it's ornate, it looks like it was made for battle. And it looks down at you and extends a hand. And somewhat wordlessly, it says, you have been chosen. You find yourself reaching out and taking the hand of this spectral construct, and as it hoists you to your feet, it says, You have been chosen. Three. And as it says three, you see numbers flashing in front of your vision. From the numbers 30 counting down, it goes down, down. And at 19, you see 19 holds for a moment, and it kind of glitches in your vision before it counts all the way down to three. And it repeats three, three, three. Your eyes open, and you see the alarm on the front of your room. It illuminates three, three, three. You are being summoned. What do you do? Uh, after G3's eyes light up as he kind of boots out a standby, uh, he's going to look down at his chest and kind of check to see if the, the hooves were real or not. Looking at your hulking steel form, it is unblemished. It, it appears that you have not been trampled by six-legged horses. That was strange. And then G3 kind of loosens up and uh, steps out of his little closet cubby where he uh, goes into sleep mode. As you step out of the cubby into the Warforged Guard's locker room, so to speak, you see your captain. His name is Captain Dreg Marlig. He's a formidable-looking, yet shorter hobgoblin with a kind of burnt orange skin. His nose is painted blue. He looks at you. Guard 3, you've been chosen. Come on. Yes, Captain. What seems to be the problem? You're being put on an assignment. You're going to be working with a member of the law. Excellent. How can I help? It's good to know you have a cheery demeanor. I'm not sure these law guys are going to be as positive as you are. You'll be briefed in my office. Follow me. Yes, sir. You follow Captain Drag as he leads you through the guardhouse. You go through these very Spartan-like hallways. There's no decoration, precise cut stone. Everything is made for purpose. And you walk down these hallways as Captain Drag continues. So there's been a strange occurrence over at Birazle's Point towards the north of the city. A number of people have gone missing, and there's a few strange eyewitness reports. This has garnered the attention of both the Central Bureau and the law alike. Seeing as you're going into the section of town that is Birazle, you are going to need to audit this officer of the law and assist him in any ways that you can. Captain Dreg opens the door as he walks past these two forms. One is this 
Earth Genasi, who is clad in the steel plate armor of the law. You can see the symbol of a skeletal fist clutching scales on his breast. His skin is the color of granite, kind of this dappling of white, gray, and black. He looks to be carved out of stone, almost, as he looks rather stern. As your captain situates himself behind his desk, you see the form of a half-orc, sitting in one of the two chairs in front of your captain's desk. I think this would be the perfect time for Dan uh, to go ahead and describe his character. Yeah, so uh, Roynar is about six foot two, 205 pounds. He's got dark uh, brown, long hair. He's got beautiful green eyes. His skin is like olive to French gray, and he has the large, uh, you know, front teeth mandibles of the orcs. He's wearing like half plate, and he has a long sword at his side. So you notice this figure, G3, and you make your way over to the chair as the captain motions for you to sit. G3 uh, doesn't sit because he's had problems with chairs in the past, because he is a pretty beefy boy. So he takes a stand right in front of it. (laughs) And uh, Captain Dreg nods with understanding. Captain Dreg looks at G3 and Roynar, and finally up to the Earth Genasi that is standing in the corner. Guard 3. This here is Sir Calatan Greaves, and his squire, now knighted, Roynar Karagark. Greetings, gentle people. The Earth Genasi looks at you with a slight nod. Hello. And that's all he says. A man of few words. Yeah, I think Roy would maybe, like, uh, grunt, you know, kind of like, huh. Like, you know, maybe he's not 100% pleased about it, uh, but he would not say anything else. You've been called here. Because approximately 15 people have been reported missing in the area known as Barazle's Point. If you're not familiar, it's kind of a junction of small, uh, small patchwork townships near the north of town. Not a whole lot is known. There's a few eyewitness accounts ranging in magical darkness appearing in alleyways that swallow people up. There's been one account of someone finding a floating thread. When they touched it, they saw visions of apocalypse. And uh, a few slinking shadows in the night. Obviously, having something like 15, maybe more, people missing has garnered the attention of the Bureau. And the captain gestures over to uh, Roynar and Calatan. And the law. Because Barazle is one of the more (laughs) independent townships, it has been a necessity that when the law and the Bureau go to investigate, they investigate as a joint venture. The Bureau audits whatever the law does. And Sir Calatan kind of huffs, but doesn't say much beyond that. Your assignment is to go down to Barazle's point, investigate into the missing people, If you can, recover as many people as possible. At the very least, find, apprehend, or kill the ones responsible for this. It should be said that Barazle is a very proud township, and they have their own law enforcement. That being said, neither of you are to engage in 
regular law enforcement activities. You leave any other crimes up to the Birazlay Guard Force. You two are strictly there to investigate the missing persons and locate them. Is this clear? Roy nods in acknowledgement to Captain Drake, and then immediately without anything else, he turns towards Calatan and he'll say, you know I could get this done in half the time if I didn't have to drag this bucket of bolts with me. <laughs> Was that a whisper, or did you just say it out loud? Seems like you said it out loud. No, he just says it out loud, yeah. Okay. Sir Calatan looks at you, and Sir Calatan, he's been your mentor for so long, and he is never a really expressive man, but you see his brow shift slightly in a, in a hint of displeasure. I understand you are efficient and a fine warrior. But that bucket of bolts can hear you. G3, you can see him shift his posture, but he doesn't turn to look over to you. We wouldn't do a joint venture unless it was absolutely necessary. This is what you've been assigned to do, and as your first assignment as a knight, I suggest you comply. Well, I guess we'll just have to get it over with, won't we? He'll turn to G3. Well, hello, um, what is it, guard number three? We're one and two on vacation today? Well, one and two are stationed at other platforms right now. And Captain Drag speaks up. Guard three was chosen at random. He has been selected for this mission. The sooner you get this done, the better. There will be time to exchange pleasantries on your venture northward. That's all I have for you. And the captain stands up. I trust you will serve the Central Bureau. And then he turns to Sir Calatan. And the law, faithfully. You have been dismissed. Roy nods to Dreg in acknowledgement, and then he turns to Caltan and taps his law insignia of the skeletal fist, holding the scales in acknowledgement of his superior. Sir Caltan taps his symbol as well and nods at you. Well, seems like we should get going. Roy, I'll say to G3. Uh, G3 goes ahead, nods at Roy, taps his battle axe against the ground and uh, falls in line behind Roy, heading out the door. I will say that Roy did not notice your battle axe. I don't know how, because it's probably huge. But he appreciates that you come strapped with a weapon, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. It's it's big. It's, like, almost full-size G3, but so much so that he can almost use it as, like, a walking stick. So when he stands guard, like, you see G3, and then directly next to him is Giant Boy. <laughs> And that definitely takes Roy back, and he's like, oh, well, impressively big weapon. As you are appreciating the size of G3's axe, you make your way out of the guardhouse, which is at the base of Castello Fidenza, the large palace that sits atop the steps. You look out at the patchwork of townships that makes the wandering city. So Roy will turn to G3 and he'll say, uh, Well, uh, I guess we should get going to this neighborhood. Uh, I really haven't spent that much time in that, that part of town, uh, the Razley. Have uh, you ever been there? I have not. Most of my time I have spent in the Capitol building here. Is this like a good day for you getting out, or what? It is another day, and today we will go north to follow orders. You're not wrong. I guess we might as well make our way there, then. I agree. And so you make your way down the steps, walking down this 
massive spiral stone structure. And as our two hefty warriors descend the steps and make their way to complete their mission, our story shifts to another part of Castello Fidenza. Perhaps a little less martial, but no less important. Deep inside the winding halls of the post office, letters and packages go flying, crossing through hallways, crossing through rooms. As they are put in one shelf, going to the sorting room, a little hand grabs an envelope and pulls it into the sorting room. Andre, will you go ahead and describe your character? Sure. Tums is a goblin of unremarkable stature. Um, He's kind of a short dude. He's uh, green-skinned with a bit of a blue tint to him, and that uh, is really highlighted by his blue postal uniform. He's wearing his summer postal shorts. He wears white crew socks that come up halfway to his knees, and he's got uh, really good walking boots that he needs because of his terribly flat feet. Tums, it is another dreary day in the sorting room. Perhaps the only thing that makes it more entertaining than when you're out on your postal routes is that you have the innate ability of sorting things, of categorizing things. And sometimes it's nice to just be in the sorting room and do your thing. And today has gotten remarkably slow and a little bit more boring, as you see that most of the mail that's coming in is junk mail. And anything that would be interesting, like a package or, or something like that, a parcel, it's all stamped with Hezco, the competing postal service that seems to span different kingdoms. They subcontract the Central Bureau post sometimes because it's cheaper to use your delivery services. But you know that every time you sort one of these Hezco boxes you're barely getting a copper piece from it. You think perhaps you'll break up the monotony of your slower sorting day by reading through your favorite magazine. What is that magazine? Sorting through the mail, uh, uh, Tums is excited to come across a copy of Popular Thievery that he snags from the sorting pile and uh, sort of stuffs in his back pocket for his own reading pleasure later on in the break room. Wait, was that addressed to Tums, though? Oh, no. Uh, Tums, <laughs> Tums, that was not addressed to Tums. Uh, it's it's a very boring day, and Tums feels that he's earned a little treat, and that it's uh, no harm if if this magazine ends up in somebody's mail slot a day late and maybe a little beat up. You maybe think to open up one of these drawers where you keep a, a couple extra copies that you've read through so far. And as you open that drawer, you are mortified to find out it is empty. So, all right, Tums is mad. Oh, God, somebody took them. These are collectible. I, I, I had I had all of volume three. That's 15 issues. So his, his mind is racing. He wants to know what the source of this is. So um, Tums, like, looks around. Is there, like, anything amiss or askew that he could find that would indicate why his magazines are missing? So looking around, it doesn't seem like too many things are out of place, but then in the doorway, uh, you see something that sends a small chill down your spine. It's your boss, Postmaster Hamlin Papri. He's an Aragonassi with this sky blue skin. He has this 
kind of slicked back white hair that's just glued to his head. It, it looks very greasy. And he's wearing a blue formal postmaster's uniform. Tums, if you could follow me to my office, that'd be great. Uh, oh, why? What? It, uh, I was just getting ready for my, my postal assignment today. Yeah, about that, don't worry about that. Just come with me. Oh, okay. And so Tums will, I, I guess, follow Hamlet. So you follow Hamlin to his office, and he walks inside. You can see just shelves of books, uh, a lot of self-help books, a uh, book like How to Be a Better Postmaster, uh, and like How to Handle Packages Good. Um, <laughs> how to handle them good. How to Handle Packages Good, the original <laughs> volume. Um, <laughs> not to be mistaken with the other How to Handle Packages Good. <laughs> And he gestures for you to sit down at this kind of lumpy office chair at the other side of his desk. You sit down in this lumpy office chair as you see Postmaster Hamlin circle around his large mahogany desk. Where he got the mahogany, you have no idea. And you see at the far end of his desk, although his office seems to be in... uh, a good organizational state. Uh, his wastebasket is just full to the brim with just papers and, you know, old wrappings. Uh, you see that on top of his desk, he has this big bowl of like half eaten salad and he has thousand city dressing uncapped sitting, uh, on the edge of his desk. And he looks at you with hard eyes and he says, no, do you have any idea what this could be about? And then he grabs a fork full of his salad and shoves it into his mouth. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've been pretty good on my routes. Um, my sort time is the same that it's ever been. Yeah, yeah. See, you know, Tums, you've been, you've been a golden child of the Central Bureau Post for a long oh, time. Gee, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. But, you know, looking through these records, and he flips through this, like, finder, your delivery times are getting uh, about five milliseconds slower than usual. So, uh, And your sorting just doesn't seem quite as, uh, you know, enthusiastic. I know we haven't given you, like, a raise in five years, but you have to understand, we're competing against a huge delivery company, and, well, yeah, you're, you gotta pick it up. But uh, even though you're, like, the best that we have around here, um, I'm afraid why, why I've called you in here today... His voice is going all over the place. He's munching on salad. It's fine. Why I've called you here today is because we have a very serious company policy against um, such content. And you see him open up his desk and he pulls out one of your week old magazines that are gnomes and goblins. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Look, look. And he looks at the cover, and he looks back at you. 
I absolutely love busty halfling milfs as much as you do, but you can't bring this kind of smut into the office. Uh, I mean, I mean, look at this, and he opens up, and to you, this looks like the magazine, uh, Better Gnomes and Goblins, and he flips through it before revealing a centerfold of, like, this really, really nice lockpick. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you can't have, you know, this, uh, Miss Novell uh, here, like... <laughs> And he looks at it for a second appreciatively and kind of, like, raises his eyebrows and nods before, like, folding it up and putting it, like, on the counter. Like I said, this is against company policy, and, you know, you can kind of bring those own things to your own house. Uh, I just don't understand understand why you have a, a drop in productivity and, and you're bringing a pornographic material into the office. I mean, what... What do you have to say for yourself? I, I didn't bring it in. That's that's from here. It, it, it was in the post. It, it just got lost in the sorting bins. And he raises his eyebrows and he looks genuinely upset. Are you telling me that you've been uh, em uh, embezzling uh, magazines from this I, job? I, I, I would never tamper with the, the magazines. They just, they got missorted. It, it happens all the time. Looking at your records, it doesn't look like that sorting accident happens to you much, Tums. Look, I know, I know it's been rough around here, and again, you're our best worker, but we're gonna have to suspend you. What? For, um, we're gonna have to suspend you for a month with Th no pay. Th no, that, that's not acceptable. I, I can't, th th this is untenable. What is not acceptable, Tums, is bringing in this kind of, and again, he takes another appreciative look at the cover, stuff into our office. I I've been stomping around all over the city for five years, and you haven't given me a raise once, and you're going to put me on suspension? Look, that's company policy, Tums, y you know, is it you're just going to... You're gonna have to bring back that spark, pal. I'm- I'm 33! I'm over the hill for a goblin! Do you realize I disintegrate when I turn 60? This is it! The best years of my life are gone! <laughs> Look- uh, Walking around in this city! You know, the, the- the Castello's in the middle of the city, and it's uphill! I gotta go uphill to drop off my mailbag every day! Because you don't trust me to take the mailbag home! Look, I'm sorry, Tums. There's nothing we can do for you, and honestly, I'm being lenient. Company policy says you should be fired on site, but because of your years of good service, we're just gonna take one month of, uh, of suspension with no pay. And when you come back, we'll see if we can give you, uh, we'll see if we can give you a raise. Uh, if, if you show that, you know, passion. This is unbelievable. I, I can't. I can't tolerate this. Um, and so as Tom's is processing this and watching um, Hanlon stuff his gob with, with salad dressing, Tom's hears a voice kind of in the back of his head whisper to him, just just gently, the dressing, the dressing. And, and he, he, can't, he can't help but look at it. And, and he doesn't know what overcomes him, but Tom's, he, uh, he lets out his mage hand. This spectral hand that floats out that he uses in the mailroom to get up to the high shelves. And he just knocks that salad dressing right off his desk. 
into the wastebasket. And the postmaster's mouth drops open and a few leaves of his salad tumble out into his lap. Tums, that's absolutely not acceptable here. That is aggressive behavior. We're going to have to give you another two weeks of suspension for that kind of behavior. Two weeks? I'm done with this. And just like it overcomes him. The, the the whisper in the back of his head says, yes, fire. And and Tums uh, lets loose um, uh, it's a spell that he usually uses in the kitchen with his with his uh, adoptive father, but he's let it loose here. It's his, his cast bonfire. He sets the postmaster's wastebasket on fire, recently doused in salad dressing. <laughs> and something about this thousand city dressing just really ignites that paper. And you see all these old, like, envelopes and papers and all the like just immolate. And a huge fire comes spouting out of his trash can. And his eyes widen and he spits out the rest of his salad. Oh, oh, this isn't isn't okay. This isn't okay. And and, and he's fumbling. Uh, You see him take this, like tapestry that's behind him. He takes it off the wall, and he tries to smother the fire. Okay, so while this is happening, Tums is just like, I, he's gotta go. So, he runs back to his office and he grabs, um, well, before he leaves, are the are the magazines on the desk? The magazines are on the desk. Okay, he just, he swipes them, and he runs for his desk where his mailbag is, grabs that, and just books it out the door. And you're you're hoofing it through the this complex labyrinth that is the Central Bureau Post Office, and as you are like very close to exiting the door, you hear the fire alarm go off, and it just blares throughout the post office as you push your way through the heavy double doors, and you make your way outside where you look out over the patchwork city northwards to where your home is. Oh jeez, I gotta get drunk. with wanting to get inebriated in your heart you make your way down the steps and towards your family tavern Cecilia your father and your uncles come forth to you and your father speaks you have survived the initiation The sap of the sunlit saguaro runs through your veins, and with it, you shall purge the wickedness that is in this realm. Yes. My daughter Cecilia, as the ring of Tlayutan dawns upon us, we are entering dark days. It is only the fourth daughter of the fifth son who can save our clan and guide us. To exaltation. Yes! Your quest only begins. A fine hunter you are, but you must slay one of those of the fetid plains of shadow and death. Before you can come back to us, you must slay one of the undead, demons or devils, and provide a trophy, and then you shall be welcomed back into your family. I can do it, father. You'll see. I have no doubts. And my tail kind of twitches a little bit with excitement. My claws kind of extend further. When you come back, we will give you 
the cloak of the crested Suwaro. Yes. We shall guide you now to our front door and send you on your journey. I need to make sure I say bye to Reese before I go. My favorite sister. You will get to say your goodbyes. He smiles slightly. Come now. And you walk up the stairs from the circular room, and you enter into your home, where you see your five siblings surrounding the basement door, and your mother, who appears to be somewhat nervous, wringing her hands. Upon seeing you, she goes, My Cecilia! And she reaches out for you and hugs you. I was so worried. The ritual is so dangerous. It's okay, mother. I'm strong. And she pulls back and and puts a scaly hand upon your face. She goes, yes, our fourth daughter. You have strength in you, but I will miss having your hands here on the farm. Your father speaks up. Oh, don't worry about that. She has bigger things, bigger fish to fry or rattlesnakes to maim. Whoop! You are guided to your front door. And your mom goes to kiss you upon the cheek. But as she does, she leans forward and says, Moving day is tomorrow. Just don't leave the city until after tomorrow. We don't want you lost to the sands. Mother, I've never missed moving day. I'm always here. I count on myself to be punctual. I count on you too. Reese will take care of the crops. Don't worry. The rice field, younger brother, Snape will get it. <laughs> nice. Snape and Reese Slitherspoon. <laughs> and your family gathers around the front door to say their goodbyes. And uh, can you roll a perception for me? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the first roll of the podcast. I got 15 to perception. That's That's an exceptional first roll of the podcast. Well done. So with a 15, as you're saying goodbye to your family, you notice two figures that are a little strange making their way down your road, essentially descending the steps. You see a large hulking warforged guard that has a single-bladed axe and a half-orc with a long sword at his hip, wearing half-plate. They appear to be talking amongst each other as they pass by. You want to look at them further, but your siblings come up to you. They just tackle me. It's custom to just fucking tackle each other in our family. Dog pile! Lizard pile! (laughs) That's better. And they leap on top of you uh, before you can see where these figures are going. Eventually, goodbyes are set, and you are left at your front door, looking upon your very large front yard that appears to be... A farm. What kind of crops are grown there, Jessica? Um, so we have rice patties with ducks. We have some corn and um, some apple trees as well. Nice. And beans. Cow peas, too. There's, there's, you know, and we like to rotate it out and make sure that, like, there's enough nitrogen in the soil and everything. So, currently that's what's planted. Yeah, it is, uh, it is about springtime. So, you know, things are kind of coming back to life. It's already warm in the Hezcocosa Desert. So, Cecilia, you don't know where to begin to find undead or devils or demons. Is there anyone that you would want to see or 
any places you want to go before you begin your quest? I'd probably want to say bye to my friend Stacy, um, who also lives on the steeps. Okay. We help each other farm, um, so she's just up the way from us. Okay. So, so she's actually up the steps or down the steps from you? Down. And I guess the most imperative question is, like, how hot is Stacy's mom? Oh, Stacy's mom has got it going on. <laughs> I was going to try to make some connection if you brought that up about how hot Stacy's mom was. <laughs> Just be right up front with it. So you walk your way down the steps to go to your friend Stacy's house. You walk by the flowing stream that is the Spiral River as it flows its way down the steps. And you come past Stacy's home. And you hear, hey, Cecilia, did you live? What's it look like, motherfucker? <laughs> and you see your friend Stacy come out of her crop field of corn. I see your corn's looking real good and tall. It's a nice season, huh? Oh, it's some of the best corn we have. We have some red corn, blue corn, white corn, sweet corn, sour corn, spicy corn, all the corn. So much corn. And, and look at this. And before we go any further, we have to explain what Stacy looks like. Stacy is a being known as a Leonin, this anthropomorphic lion person. She has all the features of a cat, a very strong build. She swipes her hand, and you see her just, like, totally chop one stalk of corn super cleanly. Look at this move I've learned. It's, it's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. Want to see mine? I whip out my short sword and I like spin in a circle and like <laughs> clear cut like five of them in a row. We're like, I learned this with my sister Reese and together we can get like 30 at a time. And so as you're out there destroying um, Stacy's lawn, <laughs> her mom comes out with just a towel on. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks at you. <laughs> And she throws her arms in the air and she says, Damn it, Cecilia! Damn it, Stacy! Don't be destroying the corn! They're almost fully developed. Sorry, Mom, we won't do any more. That she knows of. <laughs> no. I heard that. I really, I do have to go, though, um, Stacy. Well, where are you going? I'm going to kill some undead somewhere. Some undead? Yes. Uh, okay, is that some sort of, is that part of your family thing? Yes. Oh, that that's cool. Um, yes. You look, I, I, I don't know how helpful it would be, but um, apparently my aunt came by earlier this morning to talk to my mom. And, um, you know, she, she's my aunt who works at the Barazle's Point Museum. Okay. Yeah, apparently someone, like, tried to break in last night and, and my aunt, like, vaporized them. But a, a little piece of them was left, and it, like, really wigged my aunt out. She said she was going to be at the museum today, but that it was, like, technically closed. So, I, like, I don't know if, if that might help, um, but maybe maybe you could talk to my aunt. Yeah, that sounds super down my alley. I thought it was up your alley. No, it's down. It's, I've changed it. Stacy, get with the time, Stacy. Come on. Stop trying to make down your alley a thing. It's never going to be a thing. Stacy's mom gets it, though. Stacy's mom gets it. <laughs> well, I gotta go. Bye, girl. I'll see you soon. 
Hopefully with an undead, I can show it off to you before I go present it to my elders. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, show me that. And maybe one day I can fight undead with you uh, whenever I get away from the farm. Yeah, maybe join the Krugan. Because we're part of the Krugan. We're our only sub. We're a subsection of the Krugan. But like, if you're on the Krugan, you could probably join me in my quests. And you're a badass bitch. You can do whatever you want. So. Well, I have been meditating and working on my balance and, and discipline. So, uh, and, and maybe they'd want someone like me. I, I don't know. Talk to my dad. Talk to my dad about that. Cause he's part of the Krugan. But your dad like really intimidates me. Oh, but that's okay. So you gotta, you gotta try. To get, you know, you want to get out here. You want to be killing things just as much as I do. Y- yeah, Join the Krugan true. girl. Go on. Go ask her. Uh, if I can talk to your mom who's got it going on, you can talk to my dad who's scary as fuck. <laughs> They're definitely different things, but both pretty equally intimidating. So. Butterflies. Uh, uh, but- butterflies. Butterflies in your stomach when you talk, you know? So nervousness. Uh, oh. Butterflies. Butterflies. Butterflies in the stomach. Yep, that's right. That's right. I'll catch the butterflies. And, and not be nervous. Yes. Uh, oh. You go, girl. We oh. do our little jump high five. Yep, your classic patented jump high five. Yes. That no one else has ever done. <laughs> and so, where do you head, Cecilia? I want to head to the museum, where her aunt is. Okay. So, off to Barazle's point, you go. Let's focus now, back on Roynar in G3. So as you know, the Wandering City is a patchwork of other townships that kind of glob on as the Wandering City moves and and kind of breaks into other townships that then it steals and takes through space, Uh, but not time. Barazle's Point is where the township known as Barazle kind of becomes thin, like a point, and it is flanked by two other townships, one known as Denbro and the other as Thetan Ridge. And this point is a little bit rough and tumble, and it's probably due more to the Denbro region, that as you kind of arrive at Barazle's point, you can see the many wisps of coal smoke and just the sour stench of the clustered, packed township of Denbro. Just a mass of buildings packed together like sardines. Needless to say, Barazle is a very, I would say, kind of posh and well-built area, but as you come to Barazle's point and the influence of, of Denbro kind of rises, things appear to be a little dodgier and a little less maintained. G3 and Roynar, you arrive at Barazle's point. You see the large structure that is the Barazle's Point Museum. You can see on the front double doors, the sign says, closed. Looking to your left, or your west, I guess, you can see exactly where the line of Denbro starts as it is just a dense cityscape of packed townhouses. It's not really a busy day. There are a few people walking about, and you're passing an alley where you see three armored men surrounding this kind of feeble old woman. All right, Mrs. Butterfield, you know it's that time. You gotta pay up for the protection. Oh, oh but please, uh, I, I, I don't have the money. I mean, you're Barazle Rangers. You, you, this is Denbro. Oh, it doesn't matter. There's no Denbro police and it doesn't look like anyone else is gonna be protecting you. So cough over the gold. Uh, well, I, I can't. I, 
I can't. My my boy, he was supposed to come back with the gold, but 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 he he just didn't come back last night. Oh, you won't be coming back if you don't scrounge up some of that coin. So you've heard a lot, kind of wafting down this narrow alleyway. Yeah, so I mean, I think Roy would have maybe stopped to listen for a minute. Um, and, and I do think he would be compelled to help. I think he would look at G3 as he goes and he would say, you can help or not. I know we're not supposed to intervene, but uh, I don't think they can just let this go on. And he'll just continue down the alley. Uh, G3 kind of pauses for a moment and uh, decides that helping his his partner is, is the right thing to do. So he lumbers after Roynar. What does the man guy who is talking look like? So the man guy who's talking is an Earth Genasi. He has skin the color of granite, just like dark gray, a little bit dappled with pieces of white. He is surrounded by a hobgoblin and a human. Uh, so as he approaches, I think Roy would call out, Hey, Rock Noggin, why don't you leave the lady alone? And he turns to you and goes, A member of the law? Well, it seems like you're supposed to have some oversight. And he peeks over your shoulder to see the large form of G3. Are you walking tin can? Yes. Don't you know you're not supposed to be interfering in our business? Bugger off. Well, citizen, do you know that extortion is against the law? Maybe for the Bureau. Hey, no one has to know. Unfortunately, we already know. Oh, yeah? What are you gonna do about it? And you see these guys kind of like clutch onto their swords and spears. And I would say right at that point, uh, Roynar would move in uh, and try to attack him. Alright. Just kind of maybe a sucker punch. Maybe he's looking for it. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Alright, well this seems like a perfect time for us to roll initiative. And Cecilia and Tums, I would also like you two to roll initiative, please. Do I get any kind of surprise attack? No, these guys have seen you coming... They're clutching onto their weapons. I, I, I don't think this is a, uh, yeah, I don't think this is a surprise. Sean, you're going to have to save me. I rolled a pathetic. Oh, I only rolled a 14. That's okay. I'm going to stomp some kids for you. So I will say this. Because Tums and Cecilia are kind of distanced by, well, time and distance, we're not going to have you come in exactly on your initiative, but perhaps a couple rounds afterwards. So I'm going to say, Tums, you'll come in maybe two rounds after, and Cecilia, you'll come in three rounds after. So to start off this battle, G3, you see Roynar sprint towards this Earth Genasi guard. This is against protocol, even though extortion is against the law. The law in Barazle's point is you are not to interfere with law enforcement of Barazle. Aren't they in a different part of town, though? Didn't you say they were in duh-something-something? Something? Denbro? Yeah. Things get a little hinky on the edges of the wandering city. Hinky? Hinky. Did you make that word up? I don't think so. No, hinky's a thing. Huh. I've never heard that before. Hinky is suspect. dishonest or suspect. Mm. Suspect. So, G3, seeing this uh, combat engage, Roy Nar is against three well-armed men. And this old lady looks utterly terrified. What would you like to do? G3 is going to go clomping down the alley and back himself up right behind Roynar. And he readies his battle axe in a defensive position. Um, he's not going to attack yet because it is against protocol, but he is watching out for Roy's back. 
but he's still on the fence about, you know, this is against the rules. He's a little apprehensive about, you know, the bravado that Roy has brought to this. So you come up right next to this human guard that's somewhat behind Roynar, and he looks at you a little intimidated. It's his turn, and this human is going to look at you, G3. He's going to say, Well, all right, we we don't want no trouble, so you just better get your boy, metal guy, or else there's going to be trouble. And and he's going to try to intimidate you. He rolls a four. Nice. Uh, What would I roll against that? I would say maybe like a wisdom save. Okay. So G3 rolled an eight. Nice. He uh, probably towers over this guy by a good eight inches and is easily three times as wide, so he does not give a fuck. He swallows hard. He looks over to his uh, Earth Genasi leader. This guard looks at you, Ronar, and upon you charging, he just kind of cracks a smile. Oh, you're charging a guard, are you? And he is going to stab out at your leg with his spear. He gets an 11 versus your armor class. Uh, he does not hit. All right. Could I use my reaction at this point? Absolutely. So as a feature of my Battlemaster archetype, when somebody misses me with a... Melee attack, I have the opportunity to use my reaction to repost day and make a melee attack back. So I would like to, like, non-lethally try to subdue him with, like, the hilt of my sword. Yeah, you go ahead and roll it. Uh, so I got an 18 to hit with the repost day. The pommel of your sword just connects with this dude's skull, and you just, like, ring it off of his bucket helm. Go ahead and roll that damage. Seven damage. That was a hard blow. This stumbles this guy back. He he just kind of falls back against the house, and and he shakes his head, staring at you in bewilderment. He looks to his hobgoblin companion. They've assaulted me! Get them! Arrest them! And the hobgoblin just springs into action. He runs forward, and he shoves the old lady to the ground before coming up to you, Roynar, and he is going to try to bring his spear up and just butt you with the haft of it. He rolls a 10 against your armor class. Would you like to describe how maybe you deflect that? or? Yeah, so I'm guessing, you know, he moved in pretty close and hit him with the sword. And as the guy, like, swings his spear at Roy, he just kind of jumps back and away down the northern alley. But not enough, not like a significant amount, just a few feet. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you see this guy using his spear like a bow staff, and as he swings it, you just kind of leap out of the way. So after Roy dodges out of the way, can G3 use his held action, his held attack? Yes, I would allow that. Okay, G3 is going to... He sees these two offensive maneuvers against his new partner. He just full hockey swings his axe into the guy that just attacked him. But you notice that he's not using the bladed end. He's actually using... Uh, the blunt side of it. Okay. So it's kind of, yeah, like like your hockey hitting. Yeah, hitting just full Casey ball. Jones. Um, and he rolled an 11 to hit. <laughs> All right. And I'm sorry, was this coming towards the human who is highlighted in yellow or the hobgoblin? Who is the hobgoblin who just attacked Roy. Yeah, you go to swing just the flat side of your axe against this dude's head. And he, quick as lightning, just ducks down underneath Ooh. that blade. Roynar, it is now your turn. You see G3 has made a swipe, a non-lethal swipe, towards the Hobgoblin. What would you like to do? I think, in a way, he's made his point. So he's gonna advance a few feet more and try and intimidate the Earth Genasi. And he's gonna say, look, this can get messy or it can't. You can walk away now and nobody has to get hurt. 
That's a that's a four to intimidate. And the Earth Genasi looks at you. As far as I can see, you're still outnumbered, and you're the one interfering where you have no business. You have a bonus action I'll let you use? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not sure that there's a ton I can do with that, so I think I will um, not. So again, we're gonna skip over Tums and Cecilia for the moment, and then next round, Tums, you'll come into the fold. So we're gonna go back to the top with G3. G3, you see Roynar try to take another diplomatic approach, only to be shut down by this Earth Genasi. What would you like to do? So G3 is going to puff his chest up, I imagine, you know, because Roy's a little bit smaller, it's like this looming shadow that's G3 behind Roy. He's going to intimidate them, saying, I feel like the lawman has given you a very reasonable suggestion. And, yeah, let's see how his intimidation goes. Uh, he rolled a natural 20. Nice. So. You see G3 turn his axe around so the blade is facing them, and then he just locks glowing eyes uh, with the leader of this motley group oh hot damn and with the first natural 20 of this campaign (laughs) you hear what sounds like uh like someone dropping pebbles onto a metal screen and the earth genasi just kind of shrinks back and goes oh all right you don't mention what you've seen here and we won't mention what we've seen here sound fair actually it doesn't Please cease these actions of extortion, or I will return. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, come on, come on, boys. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that again. And the old lady looks up at you like appreciatively, but like also, you know, pretty terrified because you're just this giant war machine. Uh, come on, boys. We, we, we got better things to do. And the Birazle guards are going to very meekly shuffle past and off. And you see this old gentlewoman laying on the sooty ground of this alleyway. I think Roy would move in to uh, check on the woman, make sure she's okay. Also probably help her to her feet if she is. All right. And for now, just because this little encounter's over, I'm going to move on to Tums real quick. Tums, you are coming closer to your adoptive father's tavern, the Angry Gut. You've now entered the area known as Barazle's Point. You see that ever so familiar Barazle's Point Museum. It has the closed sign on the front doors, which is strange because this is usually operating hours. As you see the closed sign, you suddenly see a group of Barazle rangers uh, start to file out of this alleyway at a very hurried pace, and they and they kind of walk past you, and you hear the Earth Genasi like, oh, "Get out of our way, Goblin!" As he storms past with his group, what would you like to do? The alleyway that, that these Barazle guard have, have wandered out of is it en route to the tavern? It'll, it could get you there if you wanted to walk that way. If you enter that alleyway, there is a small network that you could weave your way over to your home tavern. Out of curiosity for, for what he's seen filed by and not having anything better to do without a job, uh, I guess he, he kind of heads towards that alley um, en route to go get uh, shit-faced. Could I add something? Sure. So as uh, Roynar's bending down to help this woman, he does see somebody enter the alley, but he doesn't really pay much attention. Um, and as he kind of, like, bends over, uh, his hip is exposed, and on his hip is a large sack 
that appears to be bulging with a number of items, potentially coins, one might think. But it's very exposed, and he's not really paying a lot of attention to it. Absolutely. So, Tums, as you make your way down this alleyway, you see a half-orc of formidable stature and a warforged of even more formidable stature, and they are assisting this elderly woman up. And you can't help but notice this rather fat purse uh, on this half-orc's hip. Tums is sitting there, and he's thinking about it, he's like, Oh man, this is like right out of Thieves' Digest. It's, it's a classic story here. And uh, thinking about all the stories that he reads and uh, feeling the thrill and feeling like he's going to need some coin pretty soon, Tom's kind of crouches down somewhere in the alley and he lets that, uh, lets that spectral mage hand snake its way out and towards that coin purse or satchet. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Roynar, you are more concerned about helping this old lady up, and so... Tums, you'll be rolling a sleight of hand against Roynar's passive perception. So, Roynar, what is your passive perception? Uh, my passive perception is 14. All right. So, Tums, go ahead and make that sleight of hand. Is that 19? You tell me. How, what, what do you do? How does this manifest? Okay. So, like, Roynar's, like, bending over to help this lady up, and, you know, his pouch is just sitting out there dummy thick, just, like, waiting to be snatched. And... The spectral hand kind of snakes its way slowly, like, uh, you know, over the crate, and uh, it's cruising back and forth. It, like, kind of feels the weight of the of the coin purse underneath it, and Tums can sense that there's heft in this thing. In fact, he's a little worried that it's going to take up too much, and it, it delicately, you know, it, it finds the drawstring that keeps it attached to the clip there, and just thumb and forefinger together the rest of the fingers away, pulls it daintily away and lets it drop to the ground. So so you just let the pouch fall to the ground? Just for clarity? It falls to the ground. I, I, I don't know how, how quickly this is happening, but if it hits the ground, I, I'd like to just pick it up, pinched like a, a, a prize claw machine, just yanking it off the ground after it hits. All right, yeah. I'll do you one better. As it starts to fall, before it it is about to clatter against the cobbles, your mage hand catches it just an inch away from the stone keeping it nice and quiet. Okay. And then he just snakes that bad boy back forward, reeling it in like a big fish. Dan, what do you think Tums sees inside of this pouch? I think initially he would be disappointed because there's really not very much gold. You, uh, I don't know if that surprises you or not, but there's like small armor repair kit, you know, some pliers. There's a little sewing kit in there. And there's like a, there's a lot of rocks too. Like, <laughs> you know, not like completely unremarkable rocks. They're kind of like shiny. Um, but they're not worth anything. Yeah. Gazing upon these objects, uh, I guess Tums is like, he's hot-headed, he's visi- he's like, he's pissed off. He thought that he got the big score, so god damn it! And he just throws it down in the alley against the cobble with a loud blank. Uh, does Roy- <laughs> does Roy notice him tossed down the back? Make it- make an active perception for me, Roy Nar. So that's a 17, the perception. You're helping this old lady up, and as you look at her, she has blue eyes. But suddenly one kind of flickers, and it looks like her iris is purple for a moment. And this intrigues you until you hear a, God damn it! And just like hear a clattering sound as you see a small goblin in a postal service uniform slamming your pouch full of remarkable stones and repair tools <laughs> on the ground in the alleyway. Royal do a double take and like check his hip, and then he'll stare accusingly up at G3, say, 
You didn't see him coming? Come on. What are you doing back there? Apologies. I was trying to help the woman. Hey, goblin, what do you think you're doing lifting my purse? Uh, what are you... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I'm i on my postal route. I, I just finished up. And he, like, clutches his, like, very clearly full bag of, of mail. Go ahead and make a deception. And uh, Roynar and G3, you can make an insight if you'd like. Well, my deception was a 19. Roy rolled a 15 to insight. <laughs> oh, God. He com- G3 got a 3, so he completely believes that he's impending the post, which is a large, large infraction of the law. <laughs> Apologies, postman. Please continue your route. Roynar also apparently believes, and he, he second-guesses himself, and he's like, uh, maybe it fell off in the scramble? Uh, and he feels kind of bad about just, like, you know, <laughs> accusing this little goblin guy. Yeah, so maybe it's something about this guy's, like, you know, short shorts. Those business boots. Can't mess with them. <laughs> and his postal service uniform. But yeah, he he just seems, you know, like an honest postal serviceman. Uh, well, let me help you out there, guy. And then I go up and I pick up the pouch that I just lifted off of him. And, uh, you know, like I hand it to him. Embarrassedly, uh, because he now believes this poor goblin, he says, <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, I, I apologize. We've just had a run-in with some pretty poorly mannered guards, so uh, my senses must have just been thrown off. But, but you know, I, I don't really need it right now. I, I'm having a, a pretty bad day. You, you know, maybe you could uh, buy me a drink for my troubles. Uh, <laughs> this is not what uh, Roy was expecting, and... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm technically on the job, and well, I don't take many of the rules incredibly seriously. That's one I do try to follow. I'll have to rain check you, little goblin man. Uh, so, uh, what, what are you guys doing here? They were, they were helping me, the old woman says. And Roynar, looking back at her, both of her eyes appear blue. He cocks his head, kind of, Are you alright, ma'am? Did those guys hurt you too much? Oh, they, they roughed me up a bit, especially throwing me on the cobbles there. Rude, rude boys. I can't believe they had the, the gumption to, to do that to me. So G3's gonna look over to her. Ma'am, is this the first time that they've come to you asking for money? No. No, they've, they've made quite a habit of it mm. at this point. That is concerning. You're, you're telling me. Most of the time it wasn't too much trouble because my beautiful boy were, worked at the Tanners and, and he made a fine amount of gold. But but I haven't seen him since last night. Is that usual for your son? Does he go out drinking, you know, burning the candle at both ends, like they say? And she appears flustered, kind of annoyed and a little bit insulted that you would even bring that up. Of course not. My my boy was was perfect. He was he was perfect. He was always very very punctual. There's no reason he should have gone missing. Well, do you know where he was last night, or where he told you he was going to be? He said he would just come right back from work. Where's your son work? He works at the Tanners. I've already said that. You don't listen. Nobody listens. I apologize, ma'am. We did just save you from being extorted by ruffians, so... And for that, I appreciate it, but you think you could just hear the words coming out of my mouth? G3 opens up his, like, chest. He has, like, a little door that he, like, stores things inside him. Uh, he opens it up and pulls out a form. Ma'am, would you like to fill out this police report? Oh, 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 no, no, that, that, that won't be necessary. That will, I, I think you taught those boys a, a good lesson. Oh, 
I meant for your missing son. <laughs> oh, 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 of course, of course. Uh, uh, yes, uh, d- definitely. A- and she takes the slip of paper from you. G3 kind of, you know, points to the different boxes to fill in. This will help us keep the details straight, seeing as it's been quite a day so far. While he's doing that, I think Roy would move uh, over to Tums, if he's still there, and say, uh, So what's got you down, uh, Mr. Post Goblin? His mind is, like, racing because he doesn't know how to answer, since that would betray his previous lie that he was... uh, on his route, so he he kind of stumbles to his feet and he says, oh, "Well, uh, you know, I I just had a, a a long day at the post. You know, the mail it's always coming in. There's always more mail, and then you sort it and you take it, you deliver it, and there's more mail, and it keeps coming. And so, you know, I'm just a little bummed out today. That's all. Uh, that sounds like a stressful job, Mister Post Goblin. I'm sorry to hear that, uh, and I I do apologize uh, for uh, you know shouting at you like that. But could I have my pouch back?" Oh, yeah, here you go. And I I hand it over. Thank you. All right, uh, guard man, are we almost done here? Yes, she's finishing up the last details. And he kind of, uh, there's a thing on the other side where he, it's like a mail slot, but he just puts the sheet in there, his little report on the other side of his body. Well, thank you, boys. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, You have a great day now. You too, ma'am. And G3 kind of watches her to make sure she safely gets up and gets moving. Okay, uh, G3, go ahead and make an insight for me. Rolled a seven for insight. This lady seems to kind of dawdle somewhat aimlessly. Uh, and you think, you know, it, it might just be because she's older and, and just a little shaken up. It, it seems like she doesn't exactly know, you know, the right way to go. Uh, but she kind of slowly ambles away from your group. Now... Roynar, G3, and Tums, would you guys make a perception for me? All right, and what did you all get, respectively? I got a 17, as Tums. Roy got a 16. And uh, G3 also got a 16. Tums, as you are looking down the alleyway, you see this old woman depart down another adjacent alleyway, further down the alleyway. Lots of alleyways. As she passes and kind of turns out of view, you notice that there's a kind of pile of old barrels and boxes, just, you know, kind of like a storage area. But you see this strange, it looks like a floating thread that appears to be gently glowing blue. And with your 16s, Roynar and G3, you notice that the goblin has his eye on something unique. I think Roy would turn and look to see what the post-goblin has seen. You can start to see now what he's seeing. It's this strange glowing blue floating thread that is amidst these boxes and barrels in this untrafficked alleyway. There's been sightings about a thread, right? So why don't we use your passive intelligence? Yeah, there were reports of a floating thread. Someone saw a floating thread, and it made them see visions of apocalypse. Uh, I think slowly Roy would start making his way towards the thread. As your party starts approaching the thread, we are now going to go to our lizard folk, Cecilia. Cecilia, you have made your journey down to Barazlay's Point. You turn and you see the Barazlay's Point Museum. On the door, it says, closed. I want to peek through the windows and try and see if I can see Stacy's aunt. 
whose name is May. Aunt May. God damn it, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just, because it's the month of May right now, and I looked at the side, I was like, May, that's a good It has nothing to do with the fact that I just got a copy of my home key that has Spider-Man on it. Oh, wow, connections. Yeah. Where's Uncle Ben? Uh, Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I won't require you to make a perception because it is very clear. You see this older Leonin woman who is behind a desk. You can see through the glass on the front doors and you can see her kind of worrying away um, behind her desk. And she looks up at you and she kind of like kind of shoes you. I shake my head and I knock on the door and I'm like, "Let, let me in, let me in. She looks very flustered as she comes out from behind the desk and makes her way to the door and, and cracks it open slightly. Stacy said you found a weird uh, body part from something recently, and I want to see, investigate it, because I'm supposed to kill some undead. So can I please look at it, please, Aunt May? So I guess a, another question here. Like, how well do you know Aunt May? Well, she would come over for Sunday dinners at Stacy's. And I, you know, every once in a while, I would join her Sunday family dinners. Um, so we've we've eaten dinner together at least ten times now. Broken bread. We have broken together. bread. <laughs> As she's getting closer um, to opening the door, you see that kind of like recognition in her eyes, and she opens it up, and you start talking about you know this creature that she killed. Come inside. Be quiet about that. And she closes the door and hastily locks it behind you. And she says. Who told you about that? Who do you think, Aunt May? No, Stacy, she's... She's just trying to help me help you. What does she need to help you with? See, I'm I'm now a member of the Crested Saguaro, and I need to complete my most recent mission of killing an undead. So I'm trying to help you figure out what dead body part thing you killed. You killed it? Yes. Can I see it? Yes. She starts leading you through this museum, and it's fairly sparse. Uh, You do see these strong, formidable forms of, of statues of proud paladins, other paintings kind of depicting wars against light and darkness and the fighting of gods, a tumultuous past that seems as though it had no strong timeline. And you enter into this large chamber where you see the most massive statue, this figure with long flowing hair, wings outstretched and a blade in their hand. Before them is an ornate fountain with this sort of glowing blue liquid inside. Can I also do like a history check to see if I know anything about the statue? Sure. Okay, and I got a six to history. So uh, we'll say with your history check, uh, you have not you have not come out to Barazlay's point before, and you have no idea who any of these figures are. The best that you know is that the divine strife happened thousands of years ago, which had a lot of zealots and people fighting holy wars. Uh, and this just appears to be a monument to the heroes of ages long forgotten and great battles of good and evil. That's what you glean from the history check. Before you can take more time to investigate, Aunt May looks at you. So last night, we had an incident. A couple creatures came inside the museum late at night. I couldn't make out much of their forms as they were just shadows, but they were gathering around the the Kota Danov, and, and, and they were trying to take it. So I did what my duty was, and I threw a fireball at them. Nice. 
Yeah, sort of. Although I burned a tapestry and scorched the ground and, well, I kind of need to clean this up before my supervisor comes back in a couple days. Come with me. And she takes you into the eastern wing of this museum. You can see this altar with a book that's on top of it. There is a chest at the base of it that doesn't appear like that is a real installment of the museum. And you can see the black scorch marks and the half-burnt tapestry. And May comes over to the chest. After I hit them, I, I wasn't exactly sure what I saw. They were ranging in, in different heights, but it's it's in that chest. But I can't bring myself to look at it. Okay, I want to open the chest up. As you open up this chest, you see this fetid, disgusting arm. It looks bloated and bulbous, a hand with stumpy little fingers and a thick palm. And right in the center of that palm is a mouth full of gnashing teeth. You can just hear it go, Holy crap! No, I slam it shut. The the chest kind of like rocks back and forth and you can hear the muffled screams coming from inside. I have advantage on wisdom checks to track fey, fiends, or undead, as well as on intelligence ability checks to recall information about them. So I'm able to get advantage on this intelligence roll in which I got 16. After just dropping the box and having this initial shock of like, Jesus Christ, there was a severed arm with a mouth in the hand that screamed at me, a smile crosses your lips because Stacy gave you some good information. The thing that's inside of this chest is a demon. Yeah! And I like jump up in the air and freeze frame. <laughs> and Aunt May looks really confused. As we shift the scene back into the alleyway with G3, Roy, and Tums gathering closer to this thread. You three, you see it's a strange piece of fiber that seems to have little tendrils that wind up it, this glowing blue sort of light. And it's just hidden amongst this pile of boxes and barrels, and it emits kind of this low warbling sound. Roy's eyes are pretty much locked on it, and he has this odd look of, like, fascination and disgust while looking at this really uh, abnormal thread. Hey, uh, tall, green, and handsome, uh, maybe, uh, you know, don't touch it. That looks pretty weird. Alright, do you have any better ideas, Mr. Post Goblin? Uh, I don't know. Um, can I do, like, a, you know, with rogue training and, and stuff, would it appear as a trap to Tums? Would he have any insight? So you can make uh, you can make an Arcana check with disadvantage. Arcana check. Seventeen. Do one more and take the lower. And a nine. It doesn't appear to be inherently dangerous. This warbling thing. It doesn't seem like it's a trap. Or if it was a trap, you know, you've already gathered close enough to the boxes. Like who's gonna wander into the boxes to trip it? It seems like if it was gonna trap someone, it should have done it already. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have this thing that I do to help sort things, and I could like reach out the mage hand and uh, pluck it. You reach out with your mage hand, this glowing blue hand, and attempt to grab the thread. Make a wisdom saving throw for me. It's a four. Oof. You are going to take 2d4 damage, which will come out to seven damage, psychic, Ooh. as your ghostly tendril mage hand kind of reaches out from your palm and fastens itself around this thread. 
just the blue light ripples back up the arm and G3 and Roy, you see Tums kind of go rigid as if electrified or seizing and he shakes. Tums, as you grip onto it, visions blast into your mind. You see rolling hellscapes of fire and cracked earth gouts of flame rising from geysers in the ground and raining meteors and you see a blue-skinned humanoid with purple irises in front of an army of gnashing bulbous creatures that seem to march across this hellish plain and everything goes dark as you fall to the ground unconscious and that's where we're going to end our session for today everybody wow Woo! That was pretty metal. Can I just say, Jessica's entire plot line was <laughs> metal <laughs> as hell. Like, I, I, I mean, like the, drinking the blood to gain your powers, the arm. Thanks. Very the contrast, though, with the valley girl cracks yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, and then I poured the blood over my body. And then I went to Stacy's house and I was like, hey, girl. What? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, girl, live your best life. You know, I just think blood magic and chilling That's with your girls is all you need. Yeah. I'm, I didn't right? do a so, character voice. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. No, dude, I think it was fine. I thought you, I, I, was, I was very entertained by yeah, your pieces. So. That's funny. But yeah, yeah. Um, how, how did y'all feel? How'd y'all like this first, uh, <laughs> this maiden voyage? I, I think yeah. I think there's a good mix on the backstories in terms of, like, like seriousness and, like, levity. So, like, Jessica's got, like, this, like, serious, like, bloodline quest, and then there's just, like, typical cop beat, and then I guess, I don't know, Tums is, is a little humor. Comedic relief is what yeah. you are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope it was. I hope it was okay that I made it. That like your boss sees porno mags. I love that. That's great. And that adds like a, a real mystery element to it. Like, where are these magazines coming from? I love that. Awesome. I think it'll be exciting when one of your compatriots finds <laughs> <with> your magazines. <laughs> what are we gonna see? What are those gun magazines called? Where it's like the hot babes in bikinis, but then they have like really tactical assault rifles. Yeah. That's all I imagine Thieves Weekly now. <laughs> It's like she's got her hood on, but it's like her cloak is just completely open in bikini, and she's like, check out these lock picks. And you're like, ooh. <laughs> well, yeah, this uh, this was really fun. Um, I think we can go ahead and, and stop the recording now. Hey, folks. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We are so excited to have kicked off our new season and campaign. And when we find a name for it, we will let you know. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and subscribe. Better yet, share with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit for more fun stuff and updates. We will release a short episode in about two weeks to share some more info about the awesome and unique world our characters will be adventuring in. Episodes of our new campaign will drop on the last Thursday of each month. In the meantime, if you want more Tavern Squad, you can visit our website, tavernsquad.com. There, you can find our first podcast campaign, entitled The Land of Corruption. You can discover more about the fantasy setting, and you can learn a pinch more about the squad. Our intro song is Briefcase Number 1, performed by Tartanic. Our intro speech is written and performed by Lou Fox. 
Other artists that provided music and sound effects are the RPG music maker Travis Savoye and Danya Vodavaz. You can find links to more of their content in the episode notes. With that, the last call has been made, the tavern is closing, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Toodaloo.